0: everyone, it's Liz Kelly, and I want to tell you about the second annual Ringer NBA Palooza on Tuesday, October 16th. We'll be streaming a live marathon countdown to tip off with Bill Simmons and the Ringer NBA crew, featuring live podcasts, special guests, Ringer original shorts, and culminating in a Sixers Celtics watch party. You can check it out live on Tuesday across all of our social media platforms. And don't forget to check out our brand new NBA Palooza merch on theringer.com slash shop.
1: David, retail giant Sears is closing 142 stores as part of a chapter 11 bankruptcy filing. What I want to know is as a child of the 80s, which extinct or highly downsized retail store would you like to see brought back from oh, the dead? My gosh.
2: The, the, the I feel like the right answer to this is Spencer's Gifts, but it still exists. <laughs> That's what so I, I was going to say. Wait, <laughs> no, I was yeah, I would, but When I was in LA, we would. So I spent a lot of time at various malls, and there was a Spencer. I found a Spencer's. It was like totally re- remodeled and new, and it was sort of yeah. It's it's like a hot topic now. Can we um, can we
1: agree that the coolest thing in '80s retail was thing that only existed at the mall? An oh, even yeah. better thing that existed at the mall that wasn't well, close that, to you. So is it was yes, like a really special treat.
2: For sure. I, I mean, I was gonna say all those all the. Uh, you know, the, there's the, 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 the sense of wonder. I mean, I know you can get anything now on Amazon or whatever else, but the sense of wonder of going into a, a music land or a Camelot music or whatever and seeing, like, stumbling across, like, an Aerosmith box set that you didn't know existed is something, <laughs> you know, that's, like, there's nothing that really replaced that. Or even just going to a KB Toys or whatever and having to, like, dig through a pile of discarded <laughs> Star Wars figures and then all of a sudden there's, like, one rare one at the bottom. Like, that is impossible to replicate now. But I will say, do you have another answer besides Spencer's Gifts?
1: KB was definitely on my list. And also, let's just throw in Walden Books, which I just learned ceased Uh, operations in 2011 to Walden Books officially Walden Books, which,
2: which living in New York and even like in any kind of like big sort of urban area, you realize that you know, Walden Books was like swallowed up by the advent of Barnes and Nobles and Borders and everything. But Walden Books just had the size of the bookstore correct. Weirdly, <laughs> like they like that was the one mall size store that probably was better off as a mall size store if you just have good quality. Um, my final answer for this, by the way, is uh, is service merchandise. Oh, because, my God. <laughs> because to this day, I don't know what they sold. I only know what it looked like from the outside, and I would like to go check it out and see what was in there.
1: I had some fond memories of my grandmother taking me to service merchandise to buy me a little toy. <laughs> we are the Orange Julius of podcasting. This is the Press Box, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. The Press Box is the media podcast where you're not allowed to make confident declarations about rookie NFL quarterbacks. They will all be wrong. We are Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker of The Ringer. Big show today, David. First up, they don't show Donald Trump's rallies on TV anymore. So Trump and Kanye West have gone unplugged. We survey the president's new media strategy. Second, Tuesday marks the start of the NBA regular season, which I know will come to a shock to a lot of ringer readers. Probably didn't know this was happening. We go inside the locker room and talk about the repertorial flex that separates the insiders from the boys. And finally, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren fends off one of Trump's attacks by cleverly releasing a new video. What else is she up to? Plus, as always, the overworked Twitter joke of the week. But David, should we start with Trump unplugged? See, let me tell you something. Donald Trump has a problem, which is that even Fox News has stopped carrying his rallies live. Last Wednesday, Mm -hmm. he had a rally in Erie, Pennsylvania that was only shown on C-SPAN 2 or the Deuce, as nobody in Washington calls it. (laughs) So what Trump's doing is increasingly stunty kind of media things to force himself back on the air. In the last week, he has invited Kanye West into the Oval Office. He gave what New York Magazine's Olivia Nuzzi described as a personal press conference to her inside the same Oval Office. On Friday, he called into Fox and Friends, and Steve Ducey, the host, pleaded with Trump at one point during this live interview saying, I know you're probably running short on time. At that point, as ABC's Karen Travers points out, the president had been on the phone live for 35 minutes. After 48 minutes on the air, Ducey comes back and tells Trump, go run the country, at which point Trump – Finally ends uh, the interview. This is the Trump unplugged phase, which is Politico's Andy Carney says. The president appears to be virtually unavoidable for comment. And in the New York Times, Katie Rogers and Maggie (laughs) Haberman report. There is no grand strategy. Shockingly, people close to him say his aides are simply clearing the path as the president speaks and speaks and speaks up for himself. This means that members of the news media are apparently no longer the enemy of the people Haberman and Rogers, write, But the people he calls before bedtime. Before we survey mm-hmm. this strange week of media strategy, if that is indeed the right word for it, what did you make of the uh, Trump's audible play here as we get close to the midterms?
2: The thing I kept going back to was that you'll hear people throughout this week, but especially in the past, especially today, when this is sort of coming to, I mean, kind of becoming a real thing. Um people are, are saying that trump is sort of his own press strategist now right he's running his own he's running the press office on himself and i know that's by himself i know that's rhetorical um yeah. but clearly it's true to some extent and i think and and you can't help or at least i can't help but think back to the time when trump was actually masquerading as his own pr agent to <laughs> to get <but> pre-presidency <laughs> he would the call John in an act, era yeah he would pretend to be his own publicist um he gets a lot of flack for that because it is just sort of inherently funny, but he was successful at that, yes. And for better or worse, I feel like he's he's being he's he's been fairly successful over the past week. Now, I don't know and and we'll get to some of the specifics. he He said you know that if he if he hadn't made that speech or he kind of imitated Dr. Blasey Ford, um, he said that if he hadn't done that, they would have lost the vote. I'm not sure if the, something specific like that is true, especially like you said, Fox isn't carrying isn't even carrying the the big speeches and rallies anymore. I mean, this is the sort of
1: best version of Trump PR, I, and, I he, and he and he seems
2: and he seems to be he's swallowing up the entire media with
1: it. I hate to descend to the theater criticism mm-hmm. level of political analysis, but he is clearly most effective when he's doing this, when he's mm-hmm. just chewing scenery. Doing an 80-minute press conference, as he did a couple of weeks ago now, uh, just endle- being endlessly available. When you say he's his own press strategist or, or media keeper or whatever, he just reminds me of a lot of people in entertainment and sports who have a uh, communications director whose job is it is just to say yes to interviews, mm-hmm. which is where, where Trump is right now. I was, like, looking at some of the other bookings that I didn't uh, list there in the open – he talked to the Washington Examiner, Selena Zito. Okay. okay. he This week is going to be on Trish Regan's Fox Business Show. I, I have no idea what that is. I just <laughs> no clue. This is also for Manny Carney's piece. After his Fox and Friends interview, he addressed reporters in the Oval Office, noting, among other things, that he has no plans to fire Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell. So that was just like a special moment with the press. <laughs> I am not going to fire this person. Let's look at Kanye. So much sound we could uh, re-listen to from this very, very strange encounter. But here is Wes talking about his Make America Great Again hat.
3: Uh, I think it's the bravery that helps you beat this game called life. You know, they tried to scare me to not wear this hat, my own friends. But this hat, it gives me, it gives me power in a way. You know, my dad and my mom separated, so I didn't have a lot of male energy in my home. And also, uh, I'm married to a family that, um, you know, <laughs> not a lot of male energy going on. It's beautiful, though. But there's times where Can
1: we, can we stop it right there, Jim? <laughs> Trump is sitting there stone-faced during this entire interview. Oh, yeah. Just like kind of in the, I don't know what I'm seeing, I don't know what I'm hearing face. But and I've been to- I've been told that I'm not allowed to talk over him. That's I'm, another you
2: know that's a part of it. Right.
1: And I think this is kind of good for me in some way I don't quite understand, which is a lot mm-hmm. of Trump's brushes with celebrity, but as soon as there was a Kardashian joke made, Trump just started laughing and smiling, which you don't mm-hmm. actually see Trump do very much. It's just kind of, just kind of an amazing moment. Anyway, Jim, please continue.
3: I'm married to a family that um, you know, <laughs> not a lot of male energy going on. It's beautiful, though. But there's times where You know, it's something about, you know, I love Hillary, I love everyone, right? But the campaign I'm with her just didn't make me feel as a guy that didn't get to see my dad all the time, like a guy that could play catch with his son. It was something about when I put this hat on, it made me feel like Superman. You made a Superman. That was That's my favorite superhero. And you made a Superman cape for me also as a guy that looks up to you, looks up to Ralph Lauren, looks up to American industry guys. Non-political, no bull.
1: I'd like to associate myself with the sentence that Max Reed wrote in the newly redesigned New York magazine Intelligencer, which is, if people aren't paying attention to your outrageous rambling tirades, find someone else giving outrageous rambling tirades and stand in the frame with them. That is clearly what is at work here, no?
2: Yeah, I think so. I don't know if Kanye... I mean, this isn't the first time that, you know, obviously Trump and Kanye have interacted. This is the first time they, they put it on TV in such a, you know, kind of um First time it became a way. moment. Sure. Um... You know, I mean that I feel like there's a million different ways to parse that meeting and and but I, but I think for the purposes of this conversation yeah um I mean I don't know if the idea was was uh, you know to make Trump look presidential by comparison um or just to just to get some attention either way I mean I it's um it, it was it was it was definitely a bizarre moment i mean the the, the weirdest part about it was
1: <laughs> careful, it's not, careful where you go with the weirdest part about it because it's going to no, be arguable. it's not the
2: weirdest part about it. It's not like... I mean, there, there, there's different levels of... Uh, I, I mean, the whole thing was a little bit perplexing, especially the way that it was covered. You know, I heard some people on the liberal side, or, or just unbiased, more or less, uh, apolitically say that... I mean, kind of kind of tisking his his presence there at all. I mean, I don't think that a musician of Kanye's stature... Um, I don't think there's any reason to, like, second-guess his, his presence at the White House for... For in
1: general, oh no, there was a lot of silliness about he was cussing or something, and that was somehow besmirching the Oval Office or something. That that's not
2: sure. I mean that that was a lot like Obama rolls his, his sleeves up when he comes to work, and I mean it doesn't like that's kind of ne- neither here nor there. But just in so in so much as it was, you know, like I said, deliberate and performative, and 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 frankly, I mean, listen, I'm not I'm not one to I, I don't I'm not Kanye West doctor, Lord knows, but. Yeah, there, there's. It, it certainly felt a little bit exploitative, and and I don't. And you know, I'm sure it was a you know a mutual exploitation society going on in there at the time. But it, but it was a, um, you know, it 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 was it was a, there. It was definitely uneasy to it made you uneasy to watch it, and maybe that was
1: the point. It's it it had people watching the uh, over on CNN. Chris Cuomo said, "Why give it all the this hype? Why fan the flames of the foolish?" CNN was one of the networks, by the way, that rushed to put the video on the air. Um also I saw Chris Cuomo late, calls the meeting a travesty sham mockery by which he meant David a travesty inside a sham inside a mockery. I just I would just like to say I was sitting in in a hotel lobby this week and it was late at night and Chris Cuomo repeat was on. Is there <laughs> any more preposterous fake voice of god guy on cable news right now? I know I know that's a high bar. But it's just coming out there, going, folks. Oh, it's it's rough out there. Let me be the kind of 21st century Dan Rather, just shrugging his shoulders and giving you the truth. I mean, it's just it's. I, I was just. I, it's a laugh, it's a laugh a minute for me. I got to say, it, be honest. Let's talk talk about Trump on sixty minutes. Again, <laughs> I
2: believe, by, by the way, I believe that the term sham mockery is credited to uh, to former
1: Detroit Pistons great Ben Wallace. So he just added Travis sham mockery so he could. Yeah, I have no idea where that came he didn't from. Want to bump <laughs> Ben Wallace. So many things to pull out from Trump's 60 Minutes interview with Leslie Stahl, which aired on Sunday night. Uh, the quotes, I'm not a baby, and also, I'm president and you're not, which somebody pointed out on Twitter has not been uttered since Chevy Chase uh, was on <laughs> weekend update. Let's listen to this bit, though. Here's quizzing Trump about family separations at the border.
4: What about the forced separation of children from their, migrant children yeah, from well, their- Well, that was the same as the Obama law. You know, Obama had the same thing. It, it was on the books, but he didn't enforce it. You no, enforced no. it. You launched that po- the zero tolerance policy be, to deter- Families with children. No, but then in. everybody decided and the courts don't want separation and frankly when you don't do separate when you Allow the parents to stay together Okay, when you allow that then what happens is people are going to pour into our country So are you going to go back to that? Well, we're looking at a lot of things really what we want to do is change the immigration laws because they are they're a laughing stock all over the world are you willing though? I think that you're saying you're it's under consideration. No, I want all the laws changed. The there have to be consequences, Leslie, for coming into our country illegally. And part of the I mean part of the reason I have to blame myself, the economy is so strong that everybody wants to come into the United States. Can right. I just ask this simple question, yes or no? Go ahead. Are you willing to reinstitute that policy? You said we're looking at everything. Yes I will, I will or only, no. I can't, You can't say yes or no. What I can say is this. There are consequences from coming into a country, namely our country, illegally. I'm not going to ask it again. You don't have you to. But it's the same as Obama. Okay. Changing subjects again.
1: I thought that interview was about as well as a TV journalist can do with Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was really good. She was really quick, and um, you know, I I don't know that you're going to get to the ecstatic moment with a him ever. <laughs> you know I'm saying you're right. I was completely wrong. I've completely misled the American public. But I thought she she sparred with him about as well, and while trying to get information and not make it look like a gladiatorial confrontation.
2: Yeah. And I just don't. I don't even know. It's, I mean, sometime soon we'll be talking about his uh, Trump's written responses to the, the Mueller investigation, and, and and you know I'm sure he'll be on the record saying things that are that are more, um, you know, potentially legally damning than than this interview. But you come to the point where you're just sort <laughs> of like, legally I'm not damning. I yeah, like I mean, I guess things with more with more actual with more like concrete consequences than just like. You know, the, 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 the normal or the, the, the once presumed political con- uh, consequences that don't really matter anymore. Um, you know, I think I think you're right. This is about as best as as, as best as a, someone can interview him. And and I think that we saw the sort of limits to that, too. I don't know. I mean, it was it was Trump in his way was was about as for his part was about as charismatic and compelling as as I can recall him being and and, and and about his substance free too. I mean, I think there was I mean certainly there was some substance there if you want to hold him to every letter and word that he said. but I, but I think that you know
1: functionally there wasn't a lot of a lot of there there. We can hurry through the interview last Tuesday with New York's Olivia Nuzzi, who was at the White House reporting on John Kelly specifically why he still has a job.
2: This sort of kicked off the week, right? I mean this sort of Trump unplugged tour that we're on right now, Yes. And it, and it, and I think just this is a small point but just we talk all the time about how incredibly rapid the news cycle is in the Trump in the you know the Trump era mm-hmm. the fact that like this interview seemed like a wild outlier 4 days 5 days ago how long yeah. ago was it it seemed this like seemed, a what
1: the hell is that and then slowly and now,
2: and then, and then it's it's literally happened to that extent or worse six times since then. Yeah, like he, it's it's crazy. He, he
1: was pretty on message, by the way. Just reading that piece, it really. Did you see the movie The Death of Stalin? And I'm not comparing Donald Trump to to Joseph Stalin, but just the madcap comic style, where he has her into the Oval Office, and then and then John mm-hmm. Kelly himself appears, who the interview is yes. ostensibly about. Then Mike Pompeo appears. Then Mike Pence appears. He he turns to Pence, that is Trump, and says, "This is Olivia. She's a disruptive writer, but that's okay." And, you know, like Trump is constantly asking you Nuzzy know, to speak louder because <laughs> mm-hmm. he does so have you ever have you been told that you speak very softly? I mean, it's I just it's just as a just comic set piece is absolutely incredible. It feels it feels like. Well, it it's, it,
2: yeah, it's like half comedy and half like he read the game one time and is using and is like deliberately trying to <laughs> neg the reporter this in front of him. Um, oh, and
1: that, th- that's what I, I I think you found one of Trump's hidden. uh Hidden influences. Influences, yeah, yeah. I think we thought so it was and Jeff they, Sessions and, and and some other guys, but it turns out. And ha- I
2: highly recommend. I mean, we're, we're just talking around the piece. I highly recommend everybody read it. But the 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 scene at the end with Kelly and Ayers hugging, yes, or like it like embracing to Again, prove
1: their friendship. That's why I thought like that the it, Death Stalin thing. It just felt it it's felt so weird, really bizarre. I think let's cut to an interesting question, which is why is this happening right now? Um, a couple of notes, a couple of speculations. Rogers and Haberman uh, in the New York Times say several people close to the president said that Mr. Trump was encouraged by what he regarded as the success of his 81-minute news conference uh, during both the president seemed energized as he engaged in conversational fisticuffs with the reporters. Annie Carney writes, former aides said it makes all the sense right now if the White House is viewing the midterms as a base turnout election that is framed as an up or down vote on Trump himself in order to do that one. Former White House official tells Carney he needs to make sure people are thinking about him on Election Day. So Trump is doing a very Trumpian thing, right? He's saying, I want this election to be about me, just like I want every second of every day to be about me. Mm -hmm. And I think that if I make myself available and make myself available in these increasingly strange ways, I will – I'll just capture everybody's attention and I'll I'll remind my base – that when they go vote for their relatively anonymous US rep that they're really voting up or down on me. That makes a lot of sense to me.
2: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me too. And I mean and, and listen, this is clearly what I mean we've been hearing that this is this is what he's been wanting to be doing from the moment he got elected, right? And and and, and it seemed like there was a sort of unbelievable amount of of you know, capital being expended in the within the, the walls of the White House to keep him away from the cameras, to keep him away from doing interviews, to keep him from talking to Bob Mueller or you know whoever wanted to talk to him. Um, it seemed like that's what that was always his what what he you know, was most excited about doing. And certainly, there's a lot of um, you know there's a lot of reasons why that could be true. But I think that I mean you said I mean, we we talked about the the fact that this might be what he's most effective doing. Um, and, this, and this is his most effective way forward. This might also be. I mean, it's kind of cra- amazing that how much energy they must have spent stopping this from happening for so many months. When this probably is also the most effective way to keep the 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 country and the, the government running. You know, just to occupy his time by touting <laughs> his own credentials. You know.
1: Yeah, it's like if he's if he's doing if he's talking to the press, he's not doing eighteen other things. The um, one final note about this that I thought was fascinating, and I read this came up in a few stories, but I read it mostly in one by. Politico piece by Jason Schwartz and Gabby Orr, which is that one of the reasons, interesting reasons that Fox is not always running these rallies live anymore is because they get better ratings sometimes when they just put Tucker Carlson on in the same slot. So if Trump is in the Midwest somewhere saying kind of off the wall things for an hour, running Tucker in its normal slot gets higher ratings, which is fascinating to me because we think of Fox News, you know, as this organism that has been milking Trump for ratings and direction and everything else. But what mm-hmm. happens when they have mastered the Trump audience so much that they don't need Trump anymore? That yeah. live Trump is actually inferior to live Tucker Carlson. That, that's a fascinating twist in the whole thing. I don't I don't know where that leads. And obviously they'll happily take a live Trump phone call on Fox and Friends any day of the week. But I thought that was really, really interesting.
2: Well, I mean, that Fox and Friends is a longer show and it's a, you know, uh, probably a tougher hang. Even it's even the, you know, the regular Fox viewers would would probably agree. Um, And I think that's just I think that it's I think it's smart programming, frankly. You know, I mean, if there were if you're you you know, there's going to be highlights of everything that he does later on. You know, anything that matters, you're going to get to see you. There's no lack of of Trump on TV, especially not in the past week or so. So I, I think it makes some sense.
1: All right, David, now it's time for the overworked Twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. A little cleanup from last week first. First Lady Melania Trump completed her trip to Kenya. I know you were following these stories. This is the trip where she wore the pith helmet, the symbol of colonial oppression, and got some criticism for that. As the trip concluded, the First Lady tweeted out some footage of the visit. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write footage of Melania looking for Barack Obama's birth certificate. That's uh, thanks to PJ Kinzer for that one. <laughs> we also got a tweet from Steve Seideman who said, that Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker don't talk about Melania as the bad guy from Raiders of the Lost Ark And the overworked Twitter joke of the week is dead. I don't like to do the drudge of the first lady by their clothes thing, right? But, yeah. But there were some side-by-sides of her and Renee Belloc uh, from Raiders that were pretty amazing. Um, also from last week, the Washington Post reports, David, that Bill and Hillary Clinton – are going on a 13-city arena tour next year. The event will have the preposterous title of "An Evening with President Bill Clinton and Former Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton." <laughs> I love that tie. we because we needed to get the full titles in there. An evening if we if we just said the Clintons who who could who could possibly figure out who we're talking about? Uh, it's going to be at the Forum in LA, in a, among other places. Mm. You saw this, and Michelle Obama is also doing the arena tour for her book. So if you're still going to Kramer Books and doing a reading. You're doing this completely wrong. Or Walden Books, for that matter. <laughs> At the news of the Clintons tour, it was an overworked Twitter joke to say, but is she coming to Wisconsin?
2: Yeah, I know. Great.
1: Too soon? That's Thanks fantastic. for to Shane Nyman for that one. And finally, David, did you see the Fox News tweet from last Wednesday about the reboot of the movie Halloween? Oh, no. What did they do? They tweeted, Jamie Lee Curtis wields firearms in the new Halloween movie despite advocating for gun control. (laughs) Gotcha. Gotcha, Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, my gosh. So that led to a whole movement on Twitter. Can I give you some of the highlights? Uh, Please do. Tim Allen murders Santa Claus in 1994 movie despite advocating for celebration of Christmas. (laughs) <laughs> I'm in favor of anything that references the Santa Claus
2: that's, oh my, that's great
1: uh, Dwayne Johnson wrestles under moniker the rock despite being made of human flesh
2: <laughs> I'm not sure that's, that's accurate
1: <laughs> and finally Mark Hamill wields laser sword and armor piercing firearms space fighter jet with mega bomb kills tens of thousands of security professionals and innocent contractors <laughs> aboard security outpost twice despite advocating for gun control so um if you realize the characters you play in a horror movie might not perfectly track with your political beliefs, congrats. You made the overworked Twitter joke of the world. <laughs> topic. Number two, David, it's NBA season here at the ringer. This is yes. kind of our, this is our, this is officially our favorite time of year, right? Oh, absolutely. We don't, we have like a telethon tomorrow.
2: Preview Palooza, as we're recording, as people are listening to this, it should be today. But yeah, the NBA Preview Palooza on TheRinger.com, it's going to be going for like 12 hours.
1: 12 hours. Amazing. Let's talk about NBA insider reporting. I did a piece (laughs) last week about a particular high art of NBA locker rooms, which I've seen and I've heard people talk about. And I just wanted to explore at some depth. And this is what happens. NBA locker rooms, like all of the locker rooms, are very pretty rigorously controlled. After Mm -hmm. a game, a player sits at his locker, and he decides at some point, after a shower, before a shower, whenever he wants to do it, that he's going to talk. Okay, And he comes, it says, once everyone comes in with the cameras, and he talks for like two minutes, and he doesn't say very much, and then the cameras go away, and that's it. The player is now finished talking. That's the way it goes. And there's actually a hierarchy in a lot of locker rooms where the most famous player talks last. I heard <laughs> so, you know, your guy on the bench and your your going kind of fourth best player will talk, go on down the line. And then finally, Anthony Davis will talk. He will be the last one to talk. Mm-hmm. Well, that's conventional NBA reporting. But when you're an NBA reporter with some status, you can walk up to the player after the media availability is over or before. In fact, you can wait for the player to get dressed and then walk along side by side with the player. As he walks to the team bus when they're playing on the road or to his car when they're playing at home. And I wondered, what is the name of this tradition, which I've seen? Everybody in the NBA does this. Chris Haynes does this. Ramona Shelburne does this. Everybody does this. And I talked to Brian Windhorst, who said, we used to call it sidling. Like you sidle up to the player. So good. And that is the true measure of power, I believe, on the NBA beat. Who can you sidle to? And what can you extract from the Seidel. It's really good. I mean,
2: I listen, this is... There's a lot of sort of like uh, micro-subject writing in the NBA right now for the past several years. This is... made. I was so enthralled by this. I mean, it's not... The, yeah, this is a podcast featuring Brian Curtis and David shoemaker but this is not you know we certainly don't cover every piece that you write on here and this is one that I specifically reached out to <laughs> you it was like we, I want to talk about sidling I want to discuss sideling at, at some length on the uh, with and record it for everyone to hear this is what it just it, it's just so perfect for for um you know the NBA in the age in the media age that it's in right now um right because I highly it, recommend it, anyone to go read this if you haven't already but it's but it but the but it's incredible that the most that the most important art form, you know, in the NBA locker room is the is, is, you know, the ability to extract that nugget that only
1: uh you
2: know that 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 only certain writers are able to do. Well
1: and it's like particular for this moment, right? Because we've reached this time and sidling obviously occurs in every sports beat in the world. There's an NFL version, there's an MLB version, there's a congressional version in the halls of the Capitol. But mm-hmm. we've we are in this time where Anything Damian Lillard says is basically news, and not mm-hmm. just. And Damian Lillard's probably on the high end of that, right? Anything, let's how, help me go like four notches down of NBA player, right? Anything Luka Doncic says this year is going to be news <laughs> to a certain extent, well, certainly.
2: And there'll be, and there'll be, and even with the element of like, you know, whether or not he's he, he's he's he meant to say what he was said. I mean. Uh, Damian Lillard talking about how he'd be happy, he'd be ha- a happy player wherever he played. I think he said he was a happy camper. You know, was was huge news. He didn't ask for a trade as some you know people um, on his level or above have done. But yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, if Spencer Dinwiddie has something to say about LeBron in LA this year, he'll probably it'll, that'll probably you know lead the headlines for a news cycle too.
1: Yeah. So that just that environment makes that move all the more powerful. And one of the interesting conversations I had for this piece was with Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, and he was talking about back when this, I don't know that the sidling was invented at this moment in time, but it became a thing around 09, 2010, when the Lakers were winning back-to-back titles. And one thing Woj said was he was, first of all, flying around the country doing these pieces where he'd go watch a game and try to extract something bigger from covering the game. All all advances in sports writing, like all advances in anything, are, are from competitive advantage, right? People are trying to figure out something. So his Mm -hmm. idea was I will walk out with somebody like Kobe Bryant, often actual Kobe Bryant, after a game. I'll download their thoughts, and then I'll put this in my column, which I will have longer to write than all the newspaper guys. Newspaper guys have to file like 10, 11 Mm o'clock. I'll be able to write this deep into the night, send it to my West Coast editor, and get it up uh, later and then tweet it out first thing in the morning. And and I'll have something that other people don't have. But what he pointed out to me that I thought was really interesting is – So he's getting Kobe right after a game. That's the kind of stuff now that might get on Twitter or might get on an uninterrupted video, right? Holding a phone in the back of a car while you're driving off somewhere. I just Mm -hmm. want to tell my fans a few things. This is, but being eight, nine years ago, this is before a lot of players were on social media. So he's sort of coming into this moment where there's all this stuff out there to be harvested if you have the relationship with the player and if Mm -hmm. you can get it. And it's sort of a moment in time, and he didn't exactly say this, but I suspect this is the case, that as more of that stuff migrated to Twitter and as that, the Seidel thing became more competitive, he then moves to raking a ton of, you know, basically like stories about mid-level exceptions, trades, trade rumors, that kind of stuff. Because that then becomes the big thing, right? Not the players' thoughts, but that becomes the great hot commodity of NBA. So
2: the Seidel was the market inefficiency. Yes, I believe it, so. It or it arose at a
1: time when that those sorts of that sort of intimate knowledge and and the players the players knew it too. The intimate knowledge, and I think people are at that point in time, right, are starting to read more national NBA news online. One thing Woj told me that was fascinating was like I knew if I did a Kobe Bryant story, that would get on the Yahoo homepage. Back when that sure. was like still a thing. Now, of course, we just be like, oh, you're just going to put it on a Twitter account. Who cares what homepage it, it is or isn't on? But that was a big deal back then.
2: So. I mean, I think, I mean, yeah, I think th- that's, uh, you can totally see the logic in that. And you can, and, and you understand it from both sides at the time, right? I mean, it's, that's, that's, uh, Woj is, I mean, Woj is clearly just trying to advance his own career and Kobe's trying to get the word out. I mean, that's a very specific example. Why do you think, why do you, I mean, this is a little bit inside baseball or, or I guess, basketball, but this is, I'm sure, what everybody's asking. Why do you think, Woj and the other people you talked to were were willing to open up to you about the title in the first place. Right now,
1: <laughs> why were they willing to talk to me about it? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like it. See, it seems like
2: uh, I mean, I guess it, it, maybe, it, maybe I've I've never been an NBA locker room. Maybe it's a sort of thing that's impossible to deny the existence of. It but is. like. But to but but to you know for for Woj to to return your call and just be like oh yeah let me talk let me tell you what I was thinking when I was like scooping other people I mean that's that's not we don't usually get a lot of that kind of thing from Woj. Well,
1: it's kind of my it's kind of my job to sidle with sports writers, right?
2: That's what I, I guess. That's <laughs> what I'm getting at. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, I um, I think it's one of these things that if you walk into an NBA locker room, it's pretty unavoidable. Everybody, it's one of those things where everybody knows what's happening. Everybody from the reporter who's not getting the sidle to the reporter that's sidling with everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a certain status about it that's usually unspoken, uh, yeah. that, that people are the kind of things that people turn to each other and say, maybe not in print, but say. So I, I think part of it is just, it's just one of those things that everybody knows that it's a thing. And when you write them and or call them and say, I want you to help me describe what kind of thing it is there. They're willing to do it,
2: <laughs> um, and this is this is maybe a little bit. I guess this isn't like you know a, a, like a fact. So uh, you know, as a as a serious journalist, feel free to decline to answer. But <laughs> when I was reading your piece, it, it it sounded a lot like 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 confidence was a big part of this. You know, there was a lot of it. A lot of a lot yes. of like stature was built into the to the definition but there's also a lot of just like the confidence to go up and do it and there was and i started i started wondering about the sort of chicken and the egg chicken and the eggness of the whole thing like is it does it take a reporter with either the great confidence or the obliviousness to what other people would think about him or her to become a great sidler or do you have or is it just a matter of professionalism and confidence to go in and like do you set do you do you just recognize sidling as an objective and you you accomplish that. Which one comes first?
1: Uh, that's a great question. I, I just think I think it this this particular niche of sports writing and basketball writing really selects for people that have a ton of confidence mm-hmm. and are are uh, are fueled by competitive drive. Bravado might be another word for it. You mm-hmm. know, when I think of Chris Haynes, when I think of Ramona Shelburne, when I think of a lot of the other people I mentioned here, like that is a common link. These people are not scared, and they are going to go get what they want, what they need to get. Jay Mm Adande is another one in this piece. Um, That's definitely true. I think it's, you know, there's, if you talk to people who are, we know as NBA insiders or NFL insiders, one absolute common trait between all of them is that they have that kind of like, that's my story. I am going to go get that. I don't care what it is. I'm going to go get it before everyone else gets it. Yeah, And that, that's just like their, that's just the way their mind operates. In a different way, and you know there'd be other people who's a br- who is a brilliant feature writer or a brilliant you know writer of something else about basketball, and they just don't have that gene to them. But I would just think this selects for people who have that gene. Absolutely. I mean, they yeah, they were def- they go stick their nose in. I mean, that's like that's just part of reporting, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the, the 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 style. I mean, the school of writer that you a school is the wrong word. The group of writers that you described are not neatly organized into a specific school or a specific sort um they're except for being immensely successful and very good at what they do right i mean there, there's feature writers there's you know kind of newspaper columnists and there's people of very you know wildly varying writing so i mean there's tv personalities right i mean there, but there's people of wildly different styles you know as far as their their, their writing and their and their kind of mission goes um yeah, I guess they're all they're all, but they are all big personalities and all. I mean, I've I've only met a, a couple of the people who you talk to, but all
1: you know, extremely nice people too. Mm-hmm, Because that's um, personality's I part mean, that's of this, part right? Of, yeah, Chris Haynes told me that a lot. It's like when you like the you have to have about one thousand informal conversations with NBA players before you get to the good stuff. So, and Chris gave me a list like we're talking about. Uh, you know, your wife or girlfriend, your children are talking about popular culture. We're talking about what's in the news, everything like that. It's all built on relationships. You know, it's like, and he, and one thing Haynes told me that I thought was interesting was it's like, I might not have seen this person I'm sidling with for a year, but I had some significant moments with them. Maybe I had a big moment in my rookie year. I'm sorry, their rookie year. Maybe mm-hmm. I had a, you know, and then I saw them six months ago or I saw them last season, but We have an instant relationship. So when player is looking around a crowded, increasingly crowded NBA locker room and they see me coming up to them, they're like, that guy is that guy's okay." And Jonathan Abrams, our old Grandland pal, said nowadays you have to almost know the player's security person, like the player security person has to recognize you because they're kind of pushing people away. Right. Random people in the hallways and autograph seekers or selfie seekers, whatever. You have to know that you have to relationship with that person, so that you can kind of come in and like, okay, yeah, he's good, he's good, we can talk to him.
2: Yeah, well, that's I mean, it, it's really incredible. Was there anything else? I mean, you, I know that you 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 know probably heard a lot of a lot of sideling stories that didn't make it into the piece. Was there anything that you like that, that you didn't that didn't make it in that was like that you just loved as a
1: basketball fan or as a student of journalism? Well, one funny thing is that. When you do, when you try to sidle with somebody, you often have to take a lot of shots at it because the person may just vanish after a game. They may be talking to somebody else, especially when basketball players play at home. They often have family or friends waiting for them outside the locker room. So Mm -hmm. they're giving, you know, giving everybody hugs and talking to people. You're not going to just like butt in and say, hey, do you have a few minutes? So people often you have to have them wait for their on the road. Uh, but Winhorst told me one funny story, which was it was the year LeBron James was going to change his number and there was a certain date that he had to file the paperwork to officially change his number by. So <laughs> let's call it March 15th. So Winhorst doesn't want the other reporters on the beat to know that he's after the story because he's hoping that all the other reports forget, right? So right. he knows the deadline essentially is March 15th to get the story. So he starts trying to sidle with LeBron on March 7th. And takes like four or five shots at it and doesn't get it. <laughs> right? He's just like every night, you know, doing that kind of. I'm looking innocent. I'm not doing trying to do anything, and LeBron disappears. LeBron's not into it or whatever.
2: Oh, he doesn't even get in the conversation. No, he okay. doesn't even.
1: He does not even. He does not even create a sidle. He just doesn't get there at all. Finally, <laughs> right? on the last night, he is able to grab him at the locker room door you know, quietly say to him, hey, did you fill out the paperwork for this number change? LeBron says, yeah, I signed it yesterday. And Winhorst goes, ah, oh, yes. And as he put it to me, yes, I got it. The Seidel worked. So that's...
2: <laughs> <laughs> the Seidel worked is a great line. How does it feel to have contributed? I mean, I know that you didn't come up with the term, but to have sort of codified this term and contributed now to the average basketball fan's lingo i mean this is the
1: cyddle will now live on forever because of this piece right? i'm gonna, i'm i'm you're you're very nice to say that but we'll we'll see you know i'm just i'm just trying david i'm just trying to give 110% out there i'm going to let other people <laughs> i'm going to leave the legacy stuff up to other people i'm going to just 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 my job is just to go out and write another write another column next week well
2: listen you 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 wrote the piece so you deserve all the credit but who was it in the who was it in the piece that was that was talking about having your cyddle stolen
1: uh I believe there was one there was uh, jason quick from the Trailblazers, and it may one have been Jason NBA Quik- writer.
2: Oh, maybe you know it was the anonymous one for sure because there was that there was that great line where he said. Uh, he or she said uh, said something to the effect of like when you're in your sidle and it's a hundred percent your sidle or it's definitely your sidle <laughs> like w- the the felicity with which the term sidle was uh, was used by like the halfway point in your piece was one of like the best like storytelling devices <laughs> of the whole
1: thing. I found that because no one knew that that was the that that was the word we were going with. But when I mentioned it at the top of the interview, they would just start calling it that. It's just one of those things that needed a word. <laughs> All right, David, let's talk about Elizabeth Warren for a second before we go here. Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren in the news today because during her academic career, she claimed that she was a, quote, minority law professor who had Native American heritage. According to an investigation by the Boston Globe's Annie Linsky last month, the declaration played no role in her hiring at Harvard Law School. But that hasn't stopped President Trump from calling her, quote, unquote, Pocahontas and mocking her. Let's listen to Trump at a rally in Montana in July.
0: Let's say I'm debating Pocahontas, Right. I promise you, I'll do this. I will take, you know those little kits they sell on television for $2? Learn your heritage. Guy says, I was born in Scotland. It turns out he was born in Puerto Rico, and that's okay. It's good. You know. Guy says, I was born in Germany. Well, he wasn't born in Germany, he was born someplace else. I'm going to get one of those little kits. And in the middle of the debate, when she proclaims that she's of Indian heritage, because her mother said she has high cheekbones. That's her only evidence, that her mother said she had high cheekbones. We will take that little kit and say, but we have to do it gently, because we're in the Me Too generation, so we have to be very gentle. And we will very gently take that kit, and we will slowly toss it, hoping it doesn't hit her and injure her arm. Even though it only weighs probably two ounces. And we will say, I will give you a million dollars to your favorite charity, paid for by Trump, if you take the test that it shows you're an Indian, you know. And let's see what she does.
1: Before I read the rest of the narration here, should we just know how offensive that was on so many levels? Um, anyway, narration <laughs> begins. Today, Warren began a media counter-offensive. She released an autobiographical video to bolster her claims, uh, and she also released the results of a genetic test in which a Stanford professor said there was a strong evidence that she has Native American heritage. All of this, David, is pretty obviously a media strategy ahead of her coming presidential run. As the New York Times reporter Jonathan Martin puts it, it's not I'm running. It's I'm running and won't be swift boated. What did you make of Warren's attempt to outflank the swift boaters? One, it was
2: the, the sort of like self-swift boating, I think, is, is, is the really cogent thing here. But I thought mo- almost more interesting than the fact that the fact that she, you know, she did it herself was that she was the timing of it. One, that that it came that it comes now vis-a-vis, the, you know, the, the Democratic primary for the presidential nomination, mm-hmm. staking out her staking her, her outer ground but also that she held this in reserve for the past what 3 years? I mean since the first, since the, the the her senatorial campaign um but but but, it, but it's but specifically since you know Trump was going after her 2 years ago um and now who know there might have been some element of this where she wanted to, she always knew she wanted to do it just right or wanted to save it for whatever but um you know she's taken a lot of shit for this <laughs> and 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 that and that the, you know the I mean may, maybe I'm just a sucker for for autobiographical Twitter movies or whatever Twitter videos but but I but you know it was really really well done and I thought and I think you could tell by Donald Trump's reaction to to uh you know hearing that hearing about it today I don't know if you heard about it for the first time in that media you know in that media veil, or if he presumably had already seen it um he seemed about as about as saddened uh as he has as i can remember him ever being that he lost this joke from his weper- repertoire or that he was proven wrong i don't know which what it was but he seemed like he seemed legitimately moved sort of uh, in a, in a, by the revelation let's listen to
1: it here is trump's reaction when told of elizabeth warren's new video <laughs>
3: You no, I have
0: Who, who you cares? Said,
3: you said you who paid cares? $1 million I didn't
0: say that. Huh? I didn't, you
3: better read it again. Read it.
1: So there's Trump denying. He said what we had him saying on audio a minute ago. He also he also said, I will only do it if I can test her personally, and that will not be something that I enjoy doing. I'm not really sure where that was going, but that was the other comment. <sighs> there's a lot of weird stuff. The weird thing is that he sort of does have,
2: like, a very, very, like, hyper-literal case that he was talking about, like, this conjecture into the future of what he would say in a debate someday. Um, he didn't formally say, like, if she, like... It was
1: all a thought experiment or something? Yeah, I mean,
2: I don't... Maybe I'm just crazy, and and certainly there's a lot of evidence of him, um, you know, outrightly denying reality when it doesn't suit him. There was some really interesting moments of that... Um, in the Woodward book, we can get back to that at some time in the future. But but the uh, but but for some reason, the first time I watched it, my first impression was that he had indeed watched the video and had been and like one of the people around him was like, "Remember, you said this thing," and then like you know, we're going to talk around it, we're going to get out of it. Don't worry about it. I mean, obviously, he's not bound to it, but um, that he that he kind of already knew he had an escape hatch, but hadn't really thought that deeply about it to be able to say it outright. Anyway, the whole thing is just so. It seems like so petty, but he's been so petty about it for so long that it that it's that it's uh, you know, he doesn't have any choice but for this to be a topic of conversation.
1: And I actually found the warned video to be more interesting than Trump's response too, and I almost like to hear you on this. Let's listen to one clip of it uh, if we could.
4: I hear some of you are Republicans.
0: I am a Republican registered.
1: Yes.
4: What do you think of him calling her Pocahontas?
0: I think it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's I think stupid. it's silly. I, I think it's crazy. crap. He's
4: talking about stuff he doesn't have any idea about. It's offensive to me, not just as Betsy's cousin, but as a Native American.
1: They feel like an attack on me and my mom, but mostly on my grandmother. And my grandma's not around to defend herself. One of the fascinating things I think about this, David, is this is billed essentially as a refutation or pushback of Trump. But it's also a way, and you said this earlier, to smuggle the kind of biographical video that typically runs at a political convention into mm-hmm. the conversation and thrust it upon the unsuspecting public, right? So yeah. we're getting, in a sense, the very specific like, look, you know, this is this is my heritage, this is who I am. But really, this is about who is Elizabeth Warren and trying to define her in the minds of democratic voters. Let's just do another clip too. Uh, That was a couple of her relatives and, and acquaintances in Oklahoma. This is some of the law professors she worked with and for who are essentially coming forward to say that this claim she made in applications did not influence her hiring during her law career.
0: Her heritage
1: had no bearing on her hiring, period.
0: I was chairing the committee that year. If ethnicity had been part of the
1: discussion, I would have known about it. Her name with respect to racial minority hires, no, never.
4: That's nonsense. Her reputation as a teacher was stellar. We decided to hire her
0: because she was the best there was on the market.
1: Elizabeth was revered as perhaps the best teacher on the faculty.
0: She is a tremendous teacher, an important scholar.
2: She was a trailblazer. She is the hardest working person
0: I have probably ever come across.
1: Did your ears go up there like mine did when all of these people are calling her a teacher rather Mm -hmm. than a law professor? Yep. <laughs> Which sure sounds better in a political ad, right? Law professor sounds highfalutin, especially Harvard law professor, but teacher.
4: Mm-hmm. There
1: you go, right? And and to yeah. me, that's part of this, right? Like, you just have to think, how crafted was this to, as a way, again, of introducing, we in our Twitter world know who Elizabeth Warren is, we see her tweet about, it, but to people who vote in a Democratic primary and haven't spent, you know, more than 10 minutes thinking about Elizabeth Warren. This is to me, this is like how we define her to potential Democratic primary voters.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think to what I said earlier about her sort of staking her claim, I mean, I think, I mean, there's this is clearly deliberate, right? I mean, there, I mean, and I and I and I don't mean this with any sort of sneer or you know, snark or anything else. I mean, there was we've seen we talked about this during the Kavanaugh hearings. There's certainly there's already jockeying going on all over, you know, Washington to to sort of be the front runner. Um Uh, on the Democratic side for the next presidential election. Um, I don't think it was any accident that when, um, you know, uh, Cory Booker and Kamala Harris were, like, making headlines for being on the Judiciary Committee and going toe-to-toe with Kavanaugh, that was when Elizabeth Warren... um, Released her her proposals for the anti-corruption law and the and the uh, you know ac- uh, accountable capitalism act, which are both in, you know very thoughtful and and would be wonderful things for our country. Um, and now this is even more so, just sort of like it's like she's putting out the first presidential or the first you know uh, memoir for a, for a, pretty much I mean for a, <laughs> for a for a potential nominee. All of that said, it was incredibly effective and incredibly poignant you know i i'm a fan of hers and and have been for a long time i mean just in terms of her style but also her 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 you know politics and, and and general demeanor um and i think that there's a there's a very legitimate question about whether or not someone has to be new someone has to be just you know exciting and interesting i mean it just it coming kind of someone has to come out of nowhere in order to be president in the trump after trump right i mean and and after bernie after sanders Obama. who was after Obama, yeah, 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 I mean, certainly. And and Bernie Sanders, I guess, is sort of the model for you can come out of nowhere without actually having, but actually having coming come out of nowhere. You know? yeah, been around I mean, you the can, whole time, yeah. Yeah, and I think that, you know, Elizabeth Warren certainly had a higher profile or a higher national profile than Bernie Sanders. I mean, since she ran for Senate and she was, you know, and, and, and you know, it was a huge national story, or not huge, it was a national story in a way oh, yeah. that most senatorial campaigns aren't. But I think that what's really compelling about this video is that um, it put it places her. You're right. She's not a Harvard professor. She's a teacher. She, you know, it it, it she's a it, it humanizes her in a lot of ways. It also places her in the context of the political moment that we're in right now. And you know, we talked about Michael Moore uh, not long ago, and the one of the sort of loose threads at the end of his most recent documentary, one of the sort, you know, the, the many tales of that was this sort of very like heartwarming, reaffirming. St- you know, sort of, but but loose tale of all of these um, young people coming from various career paths and entering politics to try to make to try to change the country for the better. Mm-hmm. And what this what what and this Elizabeth Warren uh, mini film, whatever you want to call it, could have been the last the last chapter in that little doc piece of the documentary. You know, it could it, it this is the story of someone who. Did not spend her life aspiring towards political power, but but who is actually uh, you know came to politics after success in a lot of different you know areas trying and 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 her goal is to try to make the country a better place, and for seemingly for altruistic reasons and I mean narratively
1: I thought this was just an incredible success. It's her her relationship with the media is going to be fascinating. It's something we'll I'm sure talk more about as she. Officially jumpstarts this political campaign, which I expect will happen about five seconds after the midterms. But she is somebody who you didn't have to work very hard to get congressional reporters to complain about how much she stiff-armed the media once she got in the Senate. She was mm-hmm. very, very, very cautious about it. Um, she was not somebody who would stop in hallways to talk, which is a pretty – normal thing for just about every senator to do as we've seen with Lindsey Graham in extremists over the last couple of weeks yeah uh, even this piece in the Boston Globe I mentioned from earlier in September where she finally released all these records uh, from her hiring uh, for various law schools she worked at, at a couple of them that stuff that she had not released before she is not she is not she is not somebody who you would call a particularly transparent person with the media so, whether we get from releasing this very choreographed, nicely done, as you say, and I agree it is effective on a political level video, to actually engaging with the media mm-hmm. uh, openly and you know in in non-safe zones will be fascinating. A couple of tweets I'm going to call your attention to and then we'll get out of here. One is uh, from National Journal's Ben Pershing. He says, Trump will obviously keep calling her Pocahontas anyway. So this seems partly aimed at trying to reassure Dems that this will not be an ongoing problem slash liability for her candidacy. And another one from former Obama campaign manager Jim Messina who says, argue the substance all you want, but why 22 days before a crucial election where we must win House and Senate to save America, why did Senator Warren have to do her announcement now? Why can't Dems ever stay focused? Which I thought was interesting because you are – and again – it's not her pro, you know it's not her absolute problem that the Democrats win the midterms, but she is dumping this into the political world at a very, very interesting time, and which very much sort of, you know, focuses energy on her instead of Beto O'Rourke or Andrew Gillum in Florida or all these other candidates or all these random House candidates that the Dems are trying to push over the line. That is interesting to me, purely as media strategy. <sighs>
2: It also kind of butts up against the conversation we had earlier about President Trump. I'm not saying clearly Elizabeth Warren isn't a politician or a national figure on the level of the president right now. Um, but, you know, to, if, if it's important to remind, you know, it's, if it's if, if, if President Trump thinks that that reminding America of who their president is and what the stakes are in a presidency is going to drive people to the polls in the midterm I mean, you can make a loose argument for that that the same could be true from the other side and from Elizabeth Warren's side, but I, but I agree. it's a it seems like a move without uh, a really defined in-game sort of or, or, or game plan.
1: We will speculate more on the presidential election of 2020 and certainly be wrong about it on future editions. But that's the press box of today. Thank you to David Shoemaker. Thank you to Jim Cunningham, our producer Chris Almeida, helps us with research. More hot takes on the media next week. See you then, David. See you later man David yes or the deuce as nobody in Washington calls it <laughs> I'd like to associate mm-hmm. myself with the sentence mm-hmm. I'm not a baby mm-hmm and also I'm president and you're not mm-hmm all of that said
2: <laughs> and this is this is maybe a little bit I guess this isn't like you know a, a, like a fact mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm I'm not Kanye
1: West doctor. I I completely agree. Yes. Leave the legacy stuff up to other people?
2: Yes.